Well, good morning, everyone. What a rich time of worship. One more time. Well, good morning, everyone. That was 75% of the room. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I come from a call and response culture, so like the good morning is good. It is my deep privilege and my deep honor to be with you this morning. I look out and I see so many faces of folks that I love. My boy Joey T right there, man. I love that guy. It's great to be here. To me, this is a home, so it feels good to be home. It's been my deep privilege this weekend to, to share time with students and to get to encourage them in the faith in ways that I was encouraged in the faith when I was their age. And it's just, it's been an incredible weekend. Before we get started, I want to do three things, and these things hopefully won't be counted in the 25 to 30 minutes that I have to preach. So we'll do these things real quick. I see that clock ticking. It's all good, but uh, we'll do these things real quick, and then hopefully we can start the time clock. Amen? Amen. So real quick, first, first off, I just, it is, it's a deep honor for me to be sent from here and to get to pastor in Akron. I love what we do at Citizens. It's crazy to me that I get to wake up every day and, and go after seeing the city knowing Jesus. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. But I am also deeply privileged to be a part of the staff team, the staff team here at the North Canton Chapel, just in a different location. Before we get started real quick, I just want to like affirm publicly, the staff team here at North Canton really loves Jesus. It's not just something they talk about. It's not just something that they're telling you and they're not doing at home, but they really, really love Jesus. When Ryan stands up here and he talks about discipleship, he's not talking about something that he doesn't know because there was a time when Ryan met with me and five other guys at uh, John's Bar at 6 a.m. He took time out every Thursday and he taught us about Titus 2 and he taught us about Galatians chapter 2.20 about being crucified with Christ and he taught us about the grace of God and he taught us about justification and he taught us what it meant to truly love the gospel and be changed by the gospel on an everyday level. You have a lead pastor and you have a staff team here that really loves Jesus and that's something to praise God for. That's something to praise God for. Secondly, secondly, as many of you know, I was an intern here. It's crazy. It's been almost a decade now. But I was an intern in the student ministries, and then I was a part of the student ministries team. And then, like, Ryan and the team let me graciously hang around and do some other stuff before we planted Citizens. But uh, during that time, we had a bunch of worship leaders, right, and student ministries. And we had a bunch of folks, and we generally had two types of like worship teams and worship leaders. We had folks who were really fun, right? They were really fun and they played instruments really well, but man, it was difficult for us to get them to come to a staff Bible study or get them to like love Jesus. And then we had another kind of worship leader and that other kind of worship leader loved Jesus a whole ton. They, man, they love, I remember some of them, they loved Jesus, but man, they couldn't strum that guitar or hit that drum beat. Let me tell you something. The BBC worship team that's been here this weekend is a unique symbiosis of both. They love Jesus a whole bunch. To see them engage with the students here at our church this weekend has been incredible. They're ministry students at the college, and I just believe the future is bright for these folks, and they can play instruments. You just heard them. 
It's crazy. They can do both. So let's say thank you to the BBC worship team. And last but not least, before we get started, students, stand with me. Come on, stand with me. Come on. Stand with me, students. It's been a privilege to be with you guys this weekend and just to see the Holy Spirit move in many of you. Many of you made decisions. Hey, I don't want to just talk about this, but I want to walk about this. I don't just want to hear people talk about Jesus, but I want to know Jesus for myself. And some of you guys have never met Jesus. Some of you guys have never known the goodness and grace that comes with salvation in Jesus. And some of you guys made first-time decisions last night to love Jesus and to follow Jesus and to be disciples of Jesus. One more time, heaven rejoices at all of that. Heaven rejoices at all of that. And the community here, you can clap for that. And listen, the community here loves you. The community here supports you. And you guys are not a separate part of the community. You're not just the kids who gather over in that room over there and it's separate from the things that happen in this room. But you guys are a part of the church. You guys are a part of the church. You're a part of what God is doing here in this body. And everyone here, I can speak for everyone here, they love you and they're supporting you. And they want you to grow closer to Jesus and have deeper relationships with Jesus. That's what they desire for you. So the decision that you made last night, as Pastor Ryan said earlier, is a decision that you will make every day to follow Jesus, to repent and believe, and to grow closer to him. And I want to encourage you guys to consistently make that decision, to consistently go to the altar in your bedroom, go to the altar in your devotional time, go to the altar as much as you can and repent. Repent and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. We love you guys. We love you guys. So what we're going to do before we get started is we're going to say a prayer, a blessing over you guys. And we're just going to pray that God would just continue to do the work that he's doing in you. And in Philippians chapter 1, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, promises that the good work that Jesus starts in us, that he will finish and complete until the day of the Lord. So we're just going to pray that God would just continue to do work, that the Spirit would continue to draw you closer to the heart of Jesus. And the church, if you would, please just stretch your arms towards the students and pray with me. If there are some of you guys who are around who want to lay hands, go ahead and lay hands on the students. But we're just going to pray together as a community that God would just continue to do the work that he started in you guys, some a long time ago and some just last night. Let's pray together, church. Jesus Christ, you are the hero of the universe. Jesus, we thank you that you were born, that you left heaven, that you wrapped yourself in flesh, and that you were born a baby. Jesus, we are so grateful that you lived the perfect life that we could not live. Jesus, we're grateful that you experienced what we experienced as a human, but you did it as God. And we're grateful that you went to the cross and you died the death that we deserved that all of our sin, that all of our shadiness, that all of our mistakes were nailed up on the cross with you and buried in the ground with you. But Jesus, when you raised to new life, you raised to new life with all power. And Jesus, we're grateful that our sins can be forgiven and that you have the power to raise us to new life. And we're so grateful that you've raised us to new life. And Jesus, right now, I lift up my younger brothers and sisters. God, I pray right now that your spirit would just continue to draw these students towards your heart. God, I pray 
that as they encounter the words from this world, the words that this culture is trying to speak over them, God, I pray that your word would transcend that, your word that speaks a better word over them than the word of this world would speak to their hearts and encourage them towards deeper relationship with you. God, I believe you do miracles, and God, I pray that you would do miracles to these students. God, I pray that their high schools will come to know Jesus because of you. God, I pray that their sports teams, God, I pray that any extracurricular activity they're in where they're around people who don't know you, God, I pray that their lives will be a testimony to your goodness, to your transformative work. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, students. We love you guys. So this weekend, we've talked about what it means to be distracted. Distracted was the, was the title that your awesome youth pastors came up with for this weekend. So we dove into it and we talked about it. Friday night, we talked about one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. You can find it in Genesis chapter 25. I have a brother. We're not twins, but I'm the oldest, so I feel like I have the birthright. So this story, like, grabs my soul in a, in a sort of way. But it's the story of twin brothers named Jacob and Esau. And we talked about how they had a rivalry even from the womb. Jacob was trying to get out first. He grabs his heel. But Esau is born first, and Esau has the birthright. And we talked about what the birthright meant. And we talked about how Esau got tired and how Esau got hungry and how Esau lost sight of what he needed and he was distracted by what he wanted in that moment and how he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. And we talked about what those bowl of soups were that distract us from what we actually need, which is our birthright, which is being sons and daughters of God the Father. Yesterday evening, we talked about being distracted by the words of this world and the words that this culture and society speaks over us and that are speaking to us. And we talked about how the enemy is trying to distract us from the word that God the Father speaks over us. And what does God the Father speak over us? Matthew 3.17, he says to Jesus, before he does any ministry, before he heals the sick, before he raises the dead, before he eats with sinners, God the Father says to him, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And because of Jesus, because of his blood, because of his death, because of his resurrection, now all of us who are covered in his blood, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, but he sees the sacrifice of his son Jesus. So God is speaking that same word to us. You are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased before you do anything. You are my son, in whom I am well pleased. And that's the word that God is speaking over you, and that's the word that God is speaking over all of us, all of us who are in Jesus. Before you do anything, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. I knit you together in the womb. You were created in my image, and there lies an errant worth, dignity, and value. That's the word that God's speaking over you. And one more time, students, that is a better word. That is a better word than what the world speaks. It's a better word than what the world speaks. Throughout the course of this weekend, we've talked about distractions. And those distractions that we've mentioned are things that we should obviously run away from. Things that we should obviously not be distracted by. 
Those are things that obviously draw us away from the presence of God, that draw us away from the heart of God, that draw us away from being the disciples of Jesus, being the men and women that God is calling us to be. We talked about those bowls of soup. Don't trade them in, run away. We talked about those words that the world's speaking. Don't listen. Don't listen. If I have more time, I break down to you the full armor of God. We call it the Akron version. I tell my kids, put on the headphones. The headphones of salvation. Because they all walk around with Beats headphones. But put on the headphones. Don't listen to the words that the world's telling you. Run away from that. Today we're going to talk about a distraction that may not seem like a distraction at all. Today we're going to talk about a distraction that many of us would say, how in the world could that be a distraction at all? That seems like something that's really, really good. But I promise you, if we lose sight, if we lose sight, if we lose sight of what we're going to talk about today, even really good things can be distractions. Let's dive in. So if you would, please, with me, we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles and or electronic devices, you can turn or scroll with me to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have it, it's okay. It's on that screen. And when you find that, if you would, please stand with me for reading God's word. This is the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. And I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, praise God, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Praise God, that's good news. This is God's word, and it's true. You can be seated. Now, I ask you guys to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and I ask you to turn to chapter 2. Now, I don't know about you, but... I wasn't a Christian growing up until I was 18, but man, my mom was. My mom is. She's a holy lady, and she's a Christian, and my grandma is a Christian too. And growing up in a Christian environment, whenever I heard somebody say the book of Revelation, I immediately went, because I knew somebody was about to say something real scary. My grandma is a very, very holy lady. So growing up, my grandma took my brother and I and the rest of my cousins, there's six of us, and she sat us down and she showed us the Left Behind series. So I was a little kid watching Kirk Cameron at my grandma's house, like scared to death. And when I say I was watching Kirk Cameron scared to death, 
I mean, this like left the couch in my grandma's house and this was a part of my life. One time we were on the highway, we were on 77 North going to Cleveland. And I looked at my mom and I said, hey, you might want to slow down because I know if the rapture happens now, you are saved and I am not. So you're going to get raptured and this car is going to crash with me in it because I'm not going. I'm going to get left behind. One time we were in a Kmart in Barberton and my mom turned the corner real, real fast. I couldn't find her. So I start crying and I go to the attendant up front and I'm crying. I'm like six or seven and I'm like, yo, I don't know what just happened, but I can't find my mom and I think she got raptured. So the attendant at the Kmart talking to the loudspeaker, and she goes, uh, Miss Lynette Talbert, we've got your son up here. If you haven't been raptured, could you come get him? He's having a real rough time. Like in front of the whole entire store. Like the book of Revelation, like growing up, was something that was scary. Preachers got up and they talked about the rapture, and I wasn't saved, but I was like, yo, I know I'm not going, like, Yikes. It was something that was scary. And sometimes when we think about the book of Revelation, if we're honest, someone says Revelation and we go, oh man, I'm going to get scared. But the book of Revelation, the purpose of it is, exact, is actually the opposite. It is not meant to scare us, but it's meant to give us hope. It's meant to encourage us. It's meant to say to us, hey, you guys are here and you've been called as Christians here on this side of heaven to be in the world and not of it. And as you're in the world and not of it, you're going to encounter battles. And sometimes you will lose those battles. But what the book of Revelation teaches us is even though we sometimes stumble, even though we sometimes lose those battles, the war has been won in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You can clap for that. Amen. Jesus Christ has conquered. And what Revelation teaches us is that one day, Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to right every wrong. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. He's going to correct every injustice. All the hurt and pain and confusion that we've experienced is going to be wiped away. And we are going to be known as we are known by Jesus. We don't see through a dim glass anymore. We're going to know completely. And the book of Revelation is meant at every point to encourage us in that direction. Revelation starts off in chapter 1 saying this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to the church. What do we know about Jesus Christ? We know that Jesus loved us enough to go to the cross and take our sins on the cross and die for us. This is the revelation of the one who loves us and who has conquered and sometimes when we think about the book of Revelation, what happens to us is we think about it and we run to decoding the beautiful but yet sometimes difficult imagery that exists in this book. If you read this book, you're going to read about horns and you're going to read about eyes and you're going to read about lampstands and you're going to read about a whole bunch of stuff. And sometimes we can run to decoding the beauty of that. And listen, I... I got the chance to be around a dear friend of mine who just passed, Mike McCartney, and he spent much of his life decoding that beautiful imagery that existed in the book of Revelation, and he could talk to you for hours about it. Sometimes that sends us down rabbit trails, but 
the book of Revelation doesn't only contain that beautiful imagery. The book of Revelation contains beautiful encouragement that is in plain sight. You don't have to look hard to see this beautiful encouragement that exists in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 4, it's John is... John the Revelator, while he's on the island of Patmos, he's taken up by the Holy Spirit into the throne room, and he sees things are, that are to come. But before that, in chapters 1 through 3, Jesus is speaking to John, and Jesus says, John, I have a word that I want to give to the churches, these seven churches that exist in Asia Minor. I've got a word for them. And these words that he has for the churches are beautiful, and they're all comprised the same. They're these tiny epistles that are right in the book of Revelation, that say important things and teach important things to the church. And I believe the things that Jesus is saying to those seven churches are things that are not only for those seven churches, but there's universal truth that are contained in those epistles that apply for us in our life today in the 21st century as the church also. This is what's going to happen in each of these epistles. There's going to be a description of Christ. They're going to describe Christ in these seven beautiful and different ways. Praise God. And then he's going to give an encouragement. He's going to say, hey, I see what you're doing, and I praise God for what you're doing. Great. What you're doing is awesome. He gives them an encouragement. He gives them a nice tap on the back. And then after he gives them a nice tap on the back, he gives them a nice, clean, and stern rebuke. He says, I see what you're doing. That's good, but there's also this too. You should also really pay attention to this. This is a way that you're falling short. This is a way that you're not walking in step with what I have for you. And then from there, he gives them a solution. And then from there, it's my favorite part. Hopefully, we'll get there at the end this time. It's my favorite part. It's the promise for the conquerors, for those who stay, for those who follow Jesus, for those who win some battles and lose some battles, but stay following Jesus. There is a promise for those who conquer. Today in chapter 2, we're going to look at the church of Ephesus. And I believe God has a word that he gave to the church of Ephesus that's also for us today here. So let's look at this. Chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to find the description of Christ. And this is beautiful. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, this is beautiful, my friends. In the book of Revelation, especially in these first three chapters, the imagery of stars that he's talking about is those seven churches, these seven stars. And he's going to say these seven stars have these seven angels or these seven pastors that are under shepherds that are guiding these seven stars, which are the seven churches. And here's what's really beautiful about verse 1. In verse 1, it says he holds the seven stars in his hands. He holds the church in his hands. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus has this conversation with Peter, and he gets excited because Peter actually identifies him correctly, and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus gets excited, and he says back to him, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but only my father who is in heaven. Peter, upon this profession of faith, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
Jesus holds the church in the palm of his hands. The church of Jesus Christ has lasted since the day of the apostles. It exists now and it will last until his return. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And that's good news. That's good news. Because during times in history, persecution has come against the church. Right now, all over the world, the church is being persecuted. There are places where it's illegal to be a Christian. And even in our culture and our society today, it's becoming a little bit more difficult to be a Christian in America today. And I believe that this is just the beginning, that it's going to become a little more difficult for us to be Christians and exist in America. But this is encouraging to a people who are being persecuted, that the church is in the hands of Jesus and that he is walking in between the lampstands, which represent many things in the book of Revelation. But Jesus is walking through it all. He exists in it all. And the church is in his hands. Verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I'm going to skip down to verse 6, because this is also an encouragement. In verse 6 here, yet you have this, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is Jesus. I'd hate to be the Nicolaitans. Goodness. Here's the encouragement. What he's saying to them is, you guys love the truth. You guys love the truth. Church in Ephesus, you guys have been found faithful. There are these individuals who are calling themselves super apostles who are coming in and they sound good and they speak well, but they actually have hearts that are far away from Jesus. They're trying to draw attention to themselves. They're trying to draw money to themselves. They're trying to draw fame to themselves and they're not actually apostles. They're not actually people who love God's word and who care for the truth. And the people in Ephesus were able to discern the difference. The people in Ephesus were able to say, you know what? We've been studying God's word, and that's not actually it. You need to get out of here. You're leading people astray. That's false doctrine. That's false teaching. You need to get out of here. They were able to discern. And it goes on to say that they were so vigorous in this that there was this sect called the Nicolaitans who were trying to draw people away from the truth. And it says here, hey, church at Ephesus, you hate them, and I do also, because they're trying to draw people away from the truth. Jesus gives them an encouragement that they are discerning, and they care deeply about doctrinal vigor. They care deeply about what the word says. They are very well-studied people, and I'm grateful. I'm eternally grateful for the time that I was able to spend here every day, and I'm grateful to be cut from a cloth of people who hate false doctrine. Listen, folks, I got to spend some time here around Jim College, and the reason that I say that this is God's word and it's true is not because he said it, but it's because he taught me it, and I believe it. This is God's word, and this is true. I would go into Jim's office, and I'd ask him questions about the scripture, and I'd be there for an hour. And I don't know if y'all know Jim, but he's not talking to nobody for an hour. <laughs> but if I start talking about the word, Jim's like, let me pull out this concordance. Let's get busy. I want you to know God's word. 
I got to spend time around my dear friend, Mike McCartney. And I got to go in his office and I got to exchange books like a library. I'd say, Mike, we're getting just, just a few months ago, I said, Mike, we're getting ready to teach through a book of Ruth at Citizens. And Mike said, hey, here are three different views on the book of Ruth and what's happening. I want you to study these three different views. Here's some concordances. Here's what you should, you should take from the book of Ruth. We sat down. It was, it was wonderful. I'm grateful to be cut from a cloth of folks like Ryan Johnston. And folks, I can go in Brandon's office anytime. Brandon, I leave with a book. I'm grateful to be cut from a cloth here of people who love the truth. And you know what? We should love the truth. We should gather in ABFs and we should teach God's word because God's word is true. And we should study how that works out. We should study theology and we should be people who love the truth. We should go to our women's Bible studies and we should go to our AVFs and we should go to our missional communities and we should go to men's fraternity and we should go to the various options that are laid out for us to know and love the truth. That is very important. And Jesus himself says to the church in Ephesus, hey, I'm encouraging you. You really love the truth. And that's something that you should really love. That's incredibly important. And students, it is incredibly important. There are narratives and stories that this world and that our culture and that our society is trying to teach you. And those narratives go against God's word. And it's so important that we know what the gospel is. It's vitally important that we know that God created all things. And he created them perfect in beauty and in harmony. And at the pinnacle of that creation, he created humanity. It's important that we know that humanity said, hey, God, thanks for creating me, but no thanks for telling me how to live my life. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to radically rebel against you, God. And it's important that we know that Jesus seen us in that pit and that Jesus came and died for us and redeemed us and restored us. And it's vitally important that we know that one day he's going to return and make all things new. That is the gospel. And it's important that we know that. So he encourages them in that. But my friends, here's his rebuke. Verse four, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. God's word. God's word. He encourages them for knowing the truth. He encourages them for their vigor. He encourages them for their discerning spirits and their ability to say that, hey, you authentically love Jesus, but you don't. So get out of here and get away from me. He encourages them that even though there is a sect of people who are trying to divert people away from the goodness of Jesus, he says, good job. You can't stand them. You don't like them. Neither do I. That's Jesus. Neither do I. And he encourages them for that. 
But here's where his rebuke comes in. And his rebuke is this. You have studied the scriptures. You have done all of this work. You hate false doctrine and you hate false teachers. And you've spent a lot of time doing this. Discernment is not something that comes overnight. Discernment is something that takes time. Studying the scriptures and having a good handle is not something that you just wake up and do. That's something that takes time. And the church in Ephesus had taken the time. They had put in the work. They had done all of this incredible stuff. But in the midst of taking the time, in the midst of doing all of this incredible stuff, in the midst of continually gathering, they had forgot about the reason they were studying in the first place. And the reason they were studying in the first place is because they had been changed by Jesus. They had forgotten about their first love. They got caught up in all of the studying for studying's sake. They got caught up in pursuing knowledge for knowledge's sake and not pursuing knowledge to be closer to Jesus, to be closer to the one who had saved them and changed them and redeemed them. They had forgotten about their first love. They had forgotten about their first love. In church, at a Bible-believing church like ours, it can be easy for us to go to our ABFs. And some of us can say we've been in an ABF for 20 or 30 years and we studied the scriptures together. And we know that when people stand up and when people talk about Jesus, that they're either authentic or not. We've put in the time and the work and we have discerning spirits. We've been in women's Bible studies. We've been in men's fraternity. We're in a missional community. We're doing all the things that we should be doing and we can get caught up in doing those things and forgetting about the reason why we do them. And the reason why we do all of these things is to be nearer to Jesus. It's to be nearer to Jesus. And it's not that we shouldn't do those things. We should do all of those things. We should do all of those things. In my context at Citizens Akron, I got about 100 crazy people who believe we can change the city. So we do a bunch of stuff all the time. Our missional communities are constantly doing stuff. We're constantly doing stuff. But it's our team's constant responsibility to remind our community of why we're pursuing justice, why we're loving mercy, why we're fighting to see people who have been oppressed by ancient shackles and chains in this country have an opportunity to know Jesus and go to heaven, but also have an opportunity not to live in hell while they're here. But it's our constant responsibility to say, hey, all of this stuff is good and we should do this stuff. But this stuff that we do, we do out of a deep love for Jesus, out of an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. We do that out of an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. And this is a philosophy that we see happen all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. In Luke chapter 10, what we're going to find is beautiful. It's going to be a story of when a lawyer tries to test Jesus. He tries to put Jesus to the test. 
And the lawyer says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back to the lawyer, well, what does the law say? And the lawyer says back to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Deuteronomy. He's quoting a word that God gave Moses to govern the people of God, a summation of the law. And that lawyer quotes it, and Jesus says, do that, and you will live. Do that, and you will live. Jesus says that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. The love for Jesus with everything is what enables us to truly study scripture with the right lens. It's what enables us to truly pursue right doctrine. It's what enables us to serve correctly. It's what enables us to pursue justice and to stand for the marginalized. It's what allows us to live life as Christians in the proper way. If we do not have deep and intimate relationships with Jesus, if we have forgotten about our first love, then church, we have lost. We've lost. Later on in Luke chapter 10, there's going to be a story that I love. Jesus has 12 disciples, but Jesus also has some close friends. And his close friends' names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus too. But Mary and Martha show up a bunch of times. They are Jesus' friends. And they are also disciples of Jesus. Not a part of the 12, but disciples of Jesus. How do we know they're disciples of Jesus? Because after his death and burial, the rest of the disciples go away. But his friends Mary and Martha come back to the gravesite. They see the resurrected Jesus. And they go back to the disciples. And they say, Jesus Christ the Lord has risen. They were the first people to say that. They're disciples of Jesus too. So Jesus comes over to their house. Jesus is coming over. Now, if I'm going to keep it, keep it 100% real with you guys, uh, my wonderful wife, I, I can't see her. I don't know if she's in here or not. My wonderful wife, Julia, she's great. And we have a 20-month-old daughter named Jada. She's great. She's probably back in the kids' class pulling something down and trying to find me or Julia. But uh, my wonderful wife is type A, and I am type B, C, D, E, F, or Z. <laughs> now, with that being said, my wife is great, and she wants things the way she wants things. And actually, it's just better for all of us when they're that way. I'm going to admit it. It's just good for all of us. My quality of life has risen a ton <laughs> since we've been married. It's been awesome. Now, sometimes my wife asks me to vacuum. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with y'all. Vacuuming is not really my thing. Like, I kind of think it's frivolous to, like, vacuum, like, all the time. But to keep the peace, a brother vacuums from time to time. <laughs> so I vacuum. But I want you to imagine this. Jesus is coming over. If Jesus was coming over our house, and they're disciples, so Jesus is not only their friend, but they believe he is who he says he is. So God is coming over. If God was coming over, Julia wouldn't have to tell me to vacuum. I vacuum twice. <laughs> I vacuum twice. So Jesus is coming over. So Jesus is coming to see his friends, Mary and Martha. And Jesus comes over, and Martha is getting stuff ready. 
Martha is vacuuming. Martha is cleaning the windows. Martha is dusting. Martha is cleaning the stove. She is getting stuff together for Jesus to come over. But her sister Mary, as soon as Jesus walks in, her sister Mary stops and her sister Mary goes to be near Jesus. Martha gets upset. Martha in her head is like, you know what? I've been doing stuff all day to get ready for Jesus to come over. And you just stop. Nothing's ready yet. Dinner's not together. The table's not set. I still need to vacuum even the bathroom, which I just don't get. I still need to vacuum the bathroom. And, and Jesus comes in and you just stop. You just stop. Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, why do you worry? Why do you worry? For Mary has been given a portion that can never, ever be taken away. You see, what Jesus is not doing is condemning Martha for doing work. But what Jesus is doing is Jesus is pointing at the philosophy and the system by which we should do work. He's saying, hey, Mary decided to be near me. Mary stopped what she was doing and she took time out to be near me when it was time for my visitation. And the question for all of us is, are we Martha or are we Mary? Are we found doing a whole bunch of good things? Are we found going to a whole bunch of Bible studies and serving every time we get a chance? And man, we're really dope, so we're even going to go visit Tim Talley in Thailand. Happy birthday, Talley, just in case you listen. I love you, bro. His birthday was was some days ago, my buddy. Do we do that out of the deep relationship that we have with Jesus? And because we're so filled with Jesus and because we spent time with Jesus, are we doing things just to do them? Because it's what Christians do. As I close today, and Ben, you can come. As I close today, This year, I've dedicated myself and my personal devotional time to read the Gospels. So I'm just reading the Gospels, slow read them over and over and over again. Every chance I get, I crack open this wonderful Bible that Ryan got me in 2014, and I read the Gospels. I read through Mark, and now I'm reading through Matthew real slow. And I've kind of been stuck in Matthew since late January. And I got to the Sermon on the Mount, and I've just been like, I'm just taken by it. I'm absolutely taken by it. Matthew 5, verses 7, or Matthew chapter 5 through 7. If you haven't read it in a while, man, read it. I'm just taken by it. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's these three charges, right? It ends in these three, like, statements that Jesus has given. And for me, the statement, and they're scary statements. They're scary statements to me. They're very stern statements. And the one that's most stern to me happens in Matthew 7, verse 21. It starts there, and it goes on for the next few verses. And what it says is, on that day they will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not do mighty works in your name? And then it goes on to say that on that day the Lord will say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. You see the 
the big word that pops out in that text is the word new. The word new. The reality for all of us is that one day we're going to stand before the righteous judge, no matter who we are. We're going to stand by ourselves, not with our husband and our wife, not with our parents. We're going to stand by ourselves in front of the righteous judge. And the reality of the universe is if we are not found in Jesus, if we do not have real relationships with Jesus, what we're going to hear is depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. And things that we might say back to Jesus is, Lord, Lord, I went to women's Bible study. Lord, Lord, I was a part of a missional community. Lord, Lord, I came every Sunday. Lord, Lord, I even went on missions trips. Lord, Lord, I gave my tithe faithfully. Lord, Lord, I served in my community. But if we do not have relationships with Jesus, if we do not know Jesus, we are not going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We will hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. For I never knew you. For I never knew you. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear, well done. I want to hear, well done, more than I want to hear anything else. I want to hear those two words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant as I stand before the throne of Jesus Christ. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you just going through the motions or do you know Jesus? Is the Bible just a book that you read or are you reading it to draw yourself closer to the Jesus that exists in the words of the story? Do you know Jesus? And here's my favorite part of this text. Here's my favorite part of these verses. Ready? And to the one who conquers, verse 7, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In the city of Ephesus, Ephesus was a seaport city. In the city of Ephesus, the main business was temple worship. And it was called the Temple of Artemis. And on the front of the Temple of Artemis, there's this palm tree. And the palm tree is the entrance into the temple worship, which was heinous. Paul is going to speak against this in Acts chapter 19. And he's going to cause a riot. He's going to get driven out of the city because he's going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are going to stop going to the temple. And the middle workers who make the false idols are going to rise against them and say, Hey, you're messing with our money, so we've got to drive you out of the city. That's Ephesus. But what Jesus tells the church at Ephesus is, hey, that palm tree that's on front of the temple where you go to worship Artemis, I'm going to give you the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That is what exists for those who conquer. That is what exists for those who conquer and for those who are faithful. Man, that's where my grandpa's at. Man, that's where Pastor Mike is at. In the presence of God with those who are faithful, partaking from the tree of life. That is for those who have relationship with Jesus. Today for us is not too late. If you're going through the motions and you're coming to church and you're doing the right things, but it's been a long time since you actually talked to Jesus, I want to challenge you. Have a little talk with God. your whole life have just been doing the right thing 
coming to church and you're here because you want your family to be good people and you want your kids to grow up in a Christian environment and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I challenge you, get in a rooted Bible study. Get in a rooted study. You'll learn about who Jesus is and be challenged towards a personal relationship with him. I challenge you, do you know Jesus? Because man, I want to hear well done. And I believe that that's a sound that we all want to hear. Grace and peace be with you.